I knew it was going to be somebody else's phone yeah. or something. Because anybody that knows me, if my wife would ever say that, would go, that's not your phone, and that's not your wife. Acts 15. Good morning, by the way. So we're going to, we only got two lessons left this week and next week uh, on making a difference. Uh, actually, go to chapter 16. We'll just start at 16. Uh, so we've been talking about, last week, uh, we talked about how their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went out, and how missions made a difference. Uh, obviously, it's how they were able to spread the gospel, and as wide as, and how as fast as they were able to sp- spread the gospel, uh, despite all the issues, the problems that they had of going in, getting thrown out, or going in and getting stoned, or going in and... Uh, getting put in jail or beaten, uh, despite all that, they still were able to start churches and start uh, see people get saved. And it, it kind of um, makes you think, well, all right, well, then what are we doing? Because obviously we don't have any of those. I don't see anybody that was here yesterday when we went door knocking that isn't here today uh, that, that got thrown in jail or that got taken out and stoned or got chased out of the city, uh, but yet they did, and they were still able to spread the gospel. Uh, today we're going to talk about co-laborers and how co-laborers make a difference. We, we think about pastor, got called to this area to, to start a church, uh, and when he started, uh, there, there wasn't just him. It, it wasn't just him and his family, or it would have just been him and his family that first Sunday. Uh, it, it takes co-laborers to uh, be able to see God's work uh, worked. Uh, God's worked. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not produced, but be able to go on. Uh, we, and we see that in Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, after Paul and Barnabas uh, separate because of the dispute with John Mark, he chooses Uh, different co-laborers that are going to go with him and work with him. And we don't really uh, talk about them much. We don't really uh, see them, their name being, you know, Paul. We don't really see Silas being at the same level. We don't really see uh, Luke being up there. But but those were co-laborers with Paul. And and throughout the Bible, Paul made sure he gave them credit, not because they, you know, had to get credit or, you know, hey, you better mention me because I'm leaving. If There was never an issue or reason why he mentioned them, but he mentioned them because he knew their importance. We, we, and I'm just going to read these real quick. Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Help those women which, all, which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other fellow laborers. Tychicus, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Justice, uh, Timotheus, Philemon, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas. He names all those that were with him that were helping him because he knew that by himself, not, not technically by himself. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He, was, uh, he had God with him, but without his fellow laborers, he knew the work wasn't going to actually get done. 
He, he knew he himself could never be able to deal with everything. He gets put in prison. Then what? I'm stuck in prison. I, I, I can't preach the gospel. I can't be in the synagogue. I can't be out there praying that I get out. But he, he knew that uh, to be a leader, and they say to be a leader, and if you look back and nobody's following you, you're just out on a walk. You're not a leader unless somebody's following you, and you have to have followers. John Wooden, uh, a basketball coach, used to say the main ingredient to stardom is the rest of the team. You think of any, any big name, LeBron James or, or Michael Jordan or any of you know, Kobe Bryant, all these basketball stars. If they were out by themselves, they, they would never be the name that they are. It requires the rest of the team. Could you imagine just seeing LeBron by himself versus the whole other team? Not a lot of points would be scored for LeBron. I mean, you got uh, six guys on a team, five? I don't know basketball. <laughs> basketball is not at all. I'm a football guy. Football, you think of Emmett Smith, uh, Troy Aikman. You've got to have all the different people on your team to make the end result that you're wanting, the win. It's not just one person, and that's the same way in ministry. It can't just be one person. You think of uh, Billy Graham. He always traveled with others with him. He had co-laborers. You think of uh, D.L. Moody. He had other people that go with him. The, either, you know, uh, oh, who was the duo? One was the piano player and the song leader. Uh, I can't remember their names. But there was always, there was always, it's not just one person. You might only see one person. And one person might only be the person in front of the microphone in preaching or teaching, but it's more than just that person. And so we're going to look at those co-laborers uh, and, and see why they made a difference and why it makes a difference to have co-laborers. Let's pray and we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning for uh, getting us here before the rain and be able to uh, have a place to be able to come and, and learn about you and learn and grow. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you open our hearts and our, our eyes as what uh, your word has for each and every one of us today. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you uh, be lifted up and that your name be glorified through what happens this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first thing I want to look at is those men who are the co-laborers. And the first one we see is Silas. Uh, you're at chapter 16. Look a little few verses back, chapter 15, verse 40. And this is after uh, Barnabas and Paul split, and Paul obviously knows he can't go by himself. He knew he can't do it by himself, so he doesn't just start right off, oh, I'm, I'm done with Barnabas, I'm going out on my own. No. Verse 40, And Paul chose Silas, and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Silas, uh, we, he's, he's very much a dependable, uh, but very uh, not in the limelight. He, he's not one that gets up and preaches and somebody falls out of the, uh, out of the building window because they fell asleep. He, he's not the one that goes barging into the to the uh, jails or into the uh, synagogues and starts preaching, but he's what we call it, uh, 
lack of a better term, a gentle follower. Uh, the apostles sent Silas from Jerusalem to spread the, mis the message of the council there that the Gentiles uh, basically didn't need to deal with the ceremonial. They didn't have to get circumcised to get saved. They didn't have to do all these Jewish things to be Christians, and they sent Silas to do it. And yet, we kind of it's kind of interesting you have somebody that, just from reading scripture-wise, Silas is very uh, uh, behind the scenes, uh, very, uh, I, I wouldn't call him quiet-spoken, but not somebody that's yelling in front of your face. And who does he get teamed up with? Paul. Paul, who goes to Greece and stands upon Athens Hill and says, the unknown God, this tomb, this, this temple for the unknown God, just doesn't like, ask for, hey, I need an audience. Anybody want to listen to what I... No, he just starts preaching. You have somebody that is very quiet teaming up with somebody that is not very quiet. <laughs> uh, and for Silas, it didn't matter what position he played. It didn't matter that he wasn't the one proclaiming and yelling and, and talking about everything. But we see in Proverbs 26, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find it. Do we have the spiritual, uh, spiritual maturity to realize I don't need to be in the limelight to still work for God? I'm fine with being behind the scenes. I'm still working. I'm still doing a lot of things. I'm still, still helping the ministry, but I don't need the limelight. And that's fine with me. I, I'm okay being in the shadow, never getting thanked, never being acknowledged that I'm even doing anything. But that's fine. I, I don't need that. I, I'm not here to please other people. Like Silas knew, it wasn't about getting recognition. It was about pleasing God. And that's what we see with Silas. The next one is Timothy, uh, Acts 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, Jewess, and believed. But he, his father was a Greek, which was well reported by the, of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which was, were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. We see Timotheus, Timothy, and we know that Paul ends up writing two books to, to him, uh, to First and Second Timothy. And, and we see uh, from his, Paul's first ministry, first missionary journey out to these areas, that this was almost a... a you could see, and Paul calls him his son of the faith. This was one of Paul's uh, uh, what I don't know what I'm trying to say. His uh, fruit. Tim Timothy was was saved because Paul did his job. Because also his, you read in Timothy, his mother and his grandmother also was teaching Timothy as well. But Paul sees this. Uh, as one of his, as he says, his son in the faith, it's somebody that I led to Christ. And now he comes back through on his second missionary journey and actually takes Timothy and says, hey, do you want to go with me? Do you want to help me? Let's go on this missionary journey. And Timothy says, yes, I, I, I'd love to go. 
And Paul says, I, there's something that we need to do. And, and this time out for the lesson. Timothy saved, ready to go with Paul on his missionary journey. And Paul says, wait a minute, we need to circumcise you. Time out, I'll just stay here. I'll stay, I can do my ministry here. I, I don't need to do that. Uh, that's, uh, maybe when I was a baby, that would have been fine. But now I'm not a baby anymore. And I'm, not, I'm not going through all that. And Paul says, I'd love for you to come, but this is going to be a stumbling block for us. If you come because your father's a Greek, not for your salvation, not for anything other reason, but to not be a stumbling block to the Jews that we are going to go preach to, can you do this? And Timothy humbles himself and realizes it's not me. I need to do whatever it takes to get the gospel out. And Timothy says, fine. And he goes and gets circumcised. And then it turns into Paul, Silas, and Timothy now going on their missionary journey. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Apparently, Timothy was demonstrating the character that was needed early on in his life. Uh, to help Paul in his ministry. So the third person we see is Luke, a Greek physician. Uh, go down to verse 10, Acts 16. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assured, assuredly gathering that the Lord hath called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Uh, we, we read earlier and later on in, in actually in Timothy about Luke. Uh, and going with Paul. Luke, uh, or Luke, 2 Timothy 4.11 says, only Luke is with me. Luke never left Paul. Luke was one of those silent partners that you don't really hear about, but if you notice there in verse 10, and after he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we, you see how God doesn't necessarily call every single one of them. He doesn't give the vision to Silas and to Luke and to Timothy about going to Macedonia. He gave it to Paul. And when he got the vision, he told them about the vision and about the Holy Spirit's leading. And they humbled and said, yes, we'll follow. We, we don't have the vision. We didn't get the calling, but we're called to follow you and to help you. And so they go and follow wherever Paul went. We read, uh, we'll just get into it. The Macedonian call, uh, verse 6 of 16. Now when they had gone throughout Phygeria, and this is going to be fun for the words, and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come, in, come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to, into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samaria, 
Samothracia, and the next day to Nepopolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of the part of Macedonia and the colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. You see there in verse 9, and I've already, already alluded to it, it, Paul gets the vision. Paul, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. God led the leader. He told the followers to follow Paul, but he led the leader. And, and it's our responsibility as co-laborers here in this church to follow the pastor. God is going to give the wisdom and direction for the church to the pastor, not to me, not to Brian, not to Nitten, not to anybody else. It's going to be to the pastor. It's going to be to the leader. So the leader can lead. But as I said before, the leader can only lead if he has a following to lead. And if, if we get to the idea of, well, I didn't, that, that, I didn't get that vision. Uh, sorry, Paul. I'm not going to Macedonia. I didn't get that vision. I want to stay here in Asia. You're not really a good follower. Your job is not to say, I'm not doing what the Lord told you to do because he didn't tell me to do it. It says that immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. There was no questions. There was, they were already told, follow Paul. They were already called to help and labor with Paul. So they were just going to go with Paul wherever the Lord led him. And we need to have that uh, patience uh, I think about, we, we read there in the first part, chapter, uh, verse 6 and 7, how they wanted to go here, and the Holy Spirit told Paul, nope, not there. Okay, well, let's go here. Nope, not, not there. And you can imagine, uh, it almost reminds me of like somebody walking in circles in the wilderness. Oh, let's go over here. Nope, not, not, not there. Let's go over here. Oh, nope, not there. And it's fine when it's by yourself, but you got a, people following you. Can you imagine Timothy going, Paul, this is the second time you've said, nope, not going there. Maybe we should think about the third time before we march all the way to another place. But they didn't. They had patience. Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. When God leads the leader, whether it's our building situation, Oh, this, this one looks great. Let's, let's go this direction. And the Holy Spirit shuts the door. Well, that's a bummer. Oh, here's another one. Oh, oh let's, let's go this direction. And the Lord shuts the door. Now we can, as co-laborers, as followers, we can do one of two things. We can either complain. Pastor, you have no idea what you're doing. We're going this way and the door gets slammed in this face. We go this way and you don't... Where are we going? Why are we going on a wild goose chase? Or we can understand that the Lord shuts doors and we're just here to follow and to be behind our pastor no matter where, how many doors get shut along the way. That's what takes a co-laborer. That's what makes a co-laborer versus somebody that's just a visitor that just comes in, sits, and just, eh, I don't really want to deal with this. There's a difference between somebody that digs in the ditch and helps 
digging the ditch versus somebody that stands on top and says, yep, looks like a ditch. I won't get it. I, I won't make the jokes, Brian. It, there's a difference between somebody that's the, the supervisor versus somebody that's actually doing it. As co-laborers, we're supposed to be in the ditch. We're supposed to be in the muck. We're supposed to be the ones doing the work and following where the leader leads us to. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Doesn't, doesn't mean that there's not going to be doors that get shut. It's not going to mean that just because the Lord's leading you means that you only walk one direction. God may lead you this way and say, Okay, now we're going to go this direction. Okay, now we're going to go this direction. Could you imagine the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness in circles for 40 years? Been here, seen that rock. I've seen that rock. Oh, here it is again. Still a rock. Can you imagine walking around in circles in a wilderness for 40 years? Gets old quick. But does it mean that the Lord wasn't leading them in a circle? No. God still had a plan for them. God still was leading them. He might have shut the door to be able to go into the promised land, but it doesn't mean that he left them and just said, well, good luck. I'll see you in 40 years. Hope you're still here. Oh, I got the shoes and the, and, and the sandals taken care of. Your clothes aren't going to go anywhere. Don't worry about that. See ya. No, God was still f- there with them, but it was around and around and around and around for 40 years. We have to have the patience to let the leader lead and let the leader be led by God. And we have to understand, just like in Psalms, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. The next thing was we see the, it included uh, God's leadership, verse 8, included a petition. And they, passing by Miss. Mysia came down to Troas, and the vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. God's leading a lot of times is led by showing you a need. God God leads you to get to something because he shows Paul and Silas, Paul in this vision, there's a need in Macedonia. I know you want to go into Asia, and I know you want to stay here, Paul, but there's a need that I need you to go take care of. 1 John 3, 17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother, and have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? When God shows you a need, that's him leading. That's him showing you, hey, there's a need. It's not, oh, yep, that's a need. Continuing on, no, God shows you something so you can go do it and take care and help. God leads that direction. It, it requires partners. His leadership requires partners. Look at verse 10, and I said this already. And he, and after he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us. It requires other people to work. If, if pastor's out here trying to knock on 
all the doors by himself, not a lot of doors are going to get knocked. It requires us. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So the last thing we see is the multitudes that were converted because of the co-laborers being there with Paul. Uh, first one, uh, verse 14 of chapter 16. A businesswoman. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Curtis Hudson said, When God calls a leader, he always supplies the followers. God you're, uh, d -d -d verse 14, see this, uh, we see, uh, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, and look at this next part, whose heart the Lord opened. The Lord opened her heart. Did, did Paul know that the Lord opened her heart? No, but the Lord didn't say, that's the one, go talk to her. Paul just did what he was told to do and go and preach and, and, and minister to. Just like when we're knocking on doors. We don't know the people that are going to open that door. We don't know what kind of working the Holy Spirit's already done. We don't know who the Lord has already opened their heart. But maybe the door that you were supposed to go knock on, you didn't feel like coming today. You didn't feel, eh. I was up late Friday. I don't really want to come Saturday and knock on doors. Maybe the door that you were supposed to open or that you were supposed to knock on had their heart opened by the Lord, but now you're not there. We have to be faithful co-laborers because we don't know what the Lord has already planned for that day. We don't know the day. He does. And he's already been working in the hearts that he's been putting forth in front of us. Just like they, they talk about abortion. And, and I, I, I think there's some truth to this. We have all these diseases, cancer, and, and things that we can't, there's no, you know, here's a pill, it's a cure. Do you think God might have already had somebody created and ready and was going to plan for them to create a cure? but we decided they weren't important enough? Could be. God, God, God had this Macedonian call for Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy to go on. But Paul could have said, no, I really want to go to Asia. We're going to Asia. Then Lydia would have never been able to hear uh, we see verse 16, a troubled woman. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul 
being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out, and he came out of her the same hour. Again, if, if Paul decided I'm not going there, she would have never been freed from this demon. Uh, uh, we look at the prison guard in verse 26, and we know about, we know this Silas and Paul get imprisoned. Uh, verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I always found that interesting. Paul says it's, we're, we're all here. I'm pretty sure it wasn't just Paul and Silas. Yeah, Paul and Silas weren't going to go running. But none of the other inmates fled either. I find that interesting. And then it goes, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Freeing a demon-possessed woman. Seeing Lydia get saved. Getting, seeing the prison guard get saved and his house. All that would have been nothing if, if they decided, you know, Paul, I don't really want to go with you. I didn't get that vision. I didn't see it. Uh, you're the only one that saw it, so I guess you're going to go by yourself. We all have to do our part because God has a specific role in person a lot of times for each and every one of us to be talking to. God puts you in a job that I didn't get. God sends you to a country that I'm not going to. God put you in a certain area in your, in where your house lives for a specific reason, that I'm not living there. I bought a house, so don't, I don't need your house now. Yeah, I mean, but I, I'm just saying, God puts you in specific places, neighborhoods, gives you a specific job to work for. God puts you in a specific area for a reason. Yes, it's because you're the most qualified and that was a good house and you liked it. Don't you think God opened all those doors? Don't you think God is the one that, that gave you the abilities that he gave you and allowed you to get the position you got? It wasn't just so you could you know, have a job and have a place to live. It's because you might be the only light in that area. You might be the only light in your job. And God wants you there because he wants you to spread your light. Same thing with this church. God put this church here for a reason. Bill likes to call it the, the, the church, the lighthouse on the hilltop. We're a light to this community, but it's only a light if there's actually being spread. It doesn't do any good if, if the light just, you know, you, we've got these can lights. They do really well with shooting down and into here, but they don't do any good outside because there's a can. There's a can around the light. A lighthouse doesn't have a can light. Lighthouse is out pointing out, not pointing in. In fact, a lot of times when I went 
we, we would take family vacation. My mom loved lighthouses. She loved to go look at them. And all 1,500 steps she had to climb to go up to the top. I don't like heights. Just throwing it out there. Not a fan of heights. So every step is like, okay. Hope these stairs, you know, they, they built these back when, you know, uh, Robert E. Lee was riding around and hope they use really good concrete. But the lights weren't lit inside. In fact, a lot of them, it got really, really, really dark inside the lighthouse, which is kind of odd. You know, a lighthouse, beacon light, and I go inside of it, and I got to turn the light on because the light upstairs isn't doing anything good inside. That's how the church is supposed to be. The church isn't supposed to have the light all in here, and this is the only place you see the light. It's supposed to be going around and, and going out to the rest of the area. And it can only be done with the co-laborers. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. As co-laborers, we, we have to do our part. We have to do our job. You never want to see it as a job because, you know, most of us don't really enjoy the job that we have. It's just a job. So you don't always want to call it, you're a co-laborer, so that's your job. But it is. It's our job. And, and sometimes on Monday morning, you don't really feel like waking up and going to work. I know that. Not a really fan of mornings. But you know what? I get up, get my shower, get off to work. Sometimes I don't feel like going on Saturday. Sometimes it is late Friday. And you get up in the morning and it's just like, oh, if I could just sleep in and not go out. Or I've got a lot to do. Man, I got to do this and that on the house and do this on the car and there's a, my list is this mile long. But you know what feels a whole lot better at the end of the day? Going out, knowing it's my job, knocking on doors. Yeah, I, I lose a couple hours of the day. But think, think of this. When we talk about tithing, 10% of your money, how do you live on 90%? God provides. God, God is able to make your 90% last way longer than your 100% would last. I believe it's the same way with your time. You give him 10% of your time and your list of all the duties you've got to get done, don't worry about it. God will take care of it. God will give you the time. God will keep the light out longer than normal to get the grass mowed. He'll hold off the rain so you can get the grass mowed. He'll make those tires just last a little bit longer, Brian. God knows your situation. God knows what things you need to get done, but he also knows that he wants to see if he's first for you. Is he the most important thing in your life? Is he, is he in preeminence in your life in what you do? Do you give him the first time of the day? Do you give him... The first, your first fruits of your time? Does he, do you, you give him, man, I really just don't want to go, but I'm going to go. 
sometimes it's, you know, pastor said a lot of times uh, growing up, and I was the same way sometimes, didn't want to go to church growing up, but that wasn't an option. He, he calls it he was drugged by a kid as a kid. His parents drugged him, drugged him to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, well, Thursday uh, for them. But Wednesday night, he was, sometimes you have to drag him. Sometimes God has to drag you to get where you need to be for him. But it doesn't mean that you should just not go because you, either you're coming kicking and screaming or you're coming walking. I'd rather walk. Ben would probably rather get carried than walk. But the fact of the matter is, we're all God's children, just like Ben. Does he always want to go in his car seat? No. Does he let everybody know he doesn't want to go in his car seat? Yeah. Does that stop him from getting in his car seat and us going wherever we're going? No. Why do we think we're any different with God? We're his children. Sometimes we don't want to go door knocking. Sometimes we don't want to fill in the blank. Come Sunday night. Come Wednesday night. I've already, already you know, I'm already comfy in the chair this Sunday afternoon. I've already, I'm getting really tired and, uh, oh well, I'll just, you know, sleep here. I'll take a nap. Sometimes God's got to wake you up and drag you to church. But I can tell you, just like I said, giving him the 10% makes your 90% last a whole lot longer than 90% would normally. Giving him the 10%, and you think about, and I'm done. I'm just rambling now because they're not out yet. But Which maybe we should mark this as a, a, a stamp of new thing. I, I got finished before they did. But... Think, think about it, 10% of your week, time-wise, even if you're here Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday, you're still not even close to 10% of your week, hours. But so many people can't even come Saturday. So many people can't come Wednesday, Sunday, why is it so hard for us just to give just 10%? And, and what the doors are open isn't even 10% of your week. Let's work on trying to be co-laborers that are faithful, that can be dependable, that can be here. Even in the, the not 10% of the week, let's just give God even only when the doors are open. That's a step. That's a step in the right direction. And, and after you do that, you can realize I can do so much more with what I have. So much more time is now available to me because I obeyed what God told me to do and where God told me to be and what God wanted me to do. And when you go and you come grumpy to go knock on doors on Saturday and you go knocking on the first door and you're like, all right, let's hurry up and get this over with. Hi, you know, blah, 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 my victory. Okay, here's your thing. You go on. You know, by the third door, your attitude changes. Because what will happen is you knock on the door and your face is just going to be like, eh, whatever. And the person that's going to come to the door is going to be somebody like Lydia that God has opened their heart. And now all of a sudden, 
your demeanor changes. Now all of a sudden, it, it doesn't matter I'm not awake. God's opened a door for me. Let's open those doors. Let's do what we can as co-laborers to help. Yes, to help pastor, but to help the Lord do what he wants to do here. Let's pray, and we'll still get out before them. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, for uh, bringing us in your house. Uh, Lord, I, I do pray that we, we understand the, the seriousness of, of what you've called us to be. Yes, of salvation, of, of uh, having a home in heaven and being able to not worry about death and uh, not have to worry about where we're going to spend eternity. But the Christian life is so much more than that. It's, it's, a, it's a battlefield. It, it's a, a time to work. And I pray that we, we just get serious about this and, and realize that uh, being a Christian and doing your will uh, needs to come first. Uh, we might work somewhere else during the day, uh, but like Pastor says, we're, we're Christians first, and we need to put that in first priority. I pray that you help each and every one of us. I pray that you be with us next hour. Uh, be with Pastor and fill him with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.